evidence and answers. Jesus stated in Matthew 24, verse 35, that heaven and earth will pass away. This earth will not remain forever. One day the Bible promises that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. When and how will this take place? What will the new heaven and the new earth look like? What will happen to this present earth and all its people? You're listening to Evidence and Answers, and today Pat will be teaching on the events that will take place at the end of the age and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. Pat Zucrin is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we're going to listen to a recent sermon by Pat entitled, Living in Light of His Return. Join Pat now for this inspiring message taken from 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 to 51, Jesus gives us this exhortation. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The truly faithful servant of the Lord is the one who lives a life in obedience to God's word and God's command. This past winter, well actually in the fall, My sister asked me if I would go to Japan with her and her kids because her husband wasn't able to go. And so she said, well, would you you come with us? Would help me out? Because the girls all want to go shopping. And of course, Neil, you know, he's nine. He doesn't want to go shopping. He wants to go to Disneyland and go play games or whatever. And I thought about it for a while and thought, you know what? I'm going to be coming off a big trip in November. I'm going to be really tired. And Japan costs a whole heck of a lot, you know. And, man, I was really saving up for this computer program, mega Bible study package that I wanted, and the tablet thing, so that I don't have to carry notes around with me. I just carry my tablet and just, and all that. And I I was thinking, nah, maybe not, you know. But then... It kind of bothered me, and I I believe it was from the Holy Spirit kind of tapping on my shoulder, saying, you know what, your nieces are already in high school, your nephew's still in elementary school, but they are so busy. They're tied up in this and that, baseball, ballet, you know, whatever. And here you get a chance one week to spend with them, day and night, for an entire week. Those chances may not come for you much longer. Because the two nieces are going to graduate and they're going to go off to college. Your nephew will get into high school and he's already a star baseball player and he'll probably be tied up in sports and whatever his thing. You may not have this time again to be a witness for Jesus Christ for them. They still don't know the Lord and here's an opportunity where you get to spend one week with them there in Japan. And considering that, I thought, all right. All that I had saved for this mega Bible program and this whatever, iPod, iPad, whatever that thing is, and all that I had saved, I said, all right, gone. Got my ticket to Japan and plus the train, rail pass, and the hotels, and glass of orange juice there is like four bucks, you know, and we're not talking. You're talking like whiskey shot orange juice kind of thing. So anyway, all that, blew it all that, moped around for about a couple weeks. 
Anyway, when I went on the trip, I realized, indeed, that was a worthwhile investment. And I may never have that chance again to be with them week in, week out, being able not only to share about the Lord, but just to live life. Hopefully, I had a character of holiness and godliness that really spoke more than words that I said. And we had a great time out there. And, you know, when I said goodbye to them in Japan because I was going to go down south to visit some historical sites and, and see a missionary friend, I realized that I had done the right thing, that there was an investment in eternity. You know, that Bible program and all that. Yeah, that's all good. But, you know, one day that'll be gone. But it's the lives of my nephew and nieces and my sister that will last for eternity. I need to invest in that and make it a priority, no matter what the cost may be. You know, in a life application for each one of us is to continually develop our character, to grow in Christ. As Christians, many of you have been Christians for a while. We can often get complacent, right? We can get lazy. It's a struggle to study the Word. It's even a bigger struggle to change your character. Changing one's character is a really difficult thing. But Peter exhorts us to that. In chapter 1, verse 7, well, actually in verse 5 we begin. He says, for this very reason, he has gone through all that Christ has done for us on the cross. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter there in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. It's hard work, not only to study God's word, but to develop your character and grow in your character, conquering sin and the bad habits of your life and becoming more and more like Christ. And it's hard work. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. It is hard work. Uh, we work hard at a lot of things in life. How hard do we work at improving our character and becoming more like Christ? And one of the sad things to see is to see people who've walked with Christ for many years still, as Paul wrote, you know, acting like mere children. You know, one thing that helps me change my character and helps me to grow is this. When the Holy Spirit convicts me of some kind of sin in my life, right, maybe my temper is bad, maybe, you know, the way that I am communicating is not good, you know, I'm using words that perhaps come off in the wrong way or I'm being self, whatever it may be. You know, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, right then, you know, you just need to stop and acknowledge, well, that's sin. And the Holy Spirit's convicting me of that. And it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit working in cooperation with your will that really starts to change. Okay, the Holy Spirit won't force you to Become someone if you really don't want to be. All right? If you don't want to give up certain sins and certain habits, God won't force you to change. You've got to want to change. And the Holy Spirit will work with your will and start beginning that process of changing your character. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you, 
You know, sit down and admit, all right, that's sin. I got to work on it. Second thing I do is I try to read up on it. How have other people conquered this particular sin, whether it's gossiping or holding grudges, unforgiveness, being bad temper, poor sportsmanship, whatever it may be. Read up on it. And then third, I try to memorize scripture related to it. And then you become a whole lot more sensitive, right? And once you find yourself falling into that sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you, scriptures come right to your mind, and boom, I believe that's when the change process really begins to start. So we're called to work and develop and change our character in light of understanding what is to come in God's plan of history. Well, as we wait for his return then, what is our mission? Well, Peter says it right here in the following verse. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. Now, the Greek word there for waiting, there's another key word there in this passage. The Greek word is prosdokao, and it means looking forward to, with expectation. Right? It's like waiting for someone at an airport, waiting for a good friend or family member to arrive. And you're waiting with expectation of seeing them come through the door. He says, waiting with expectation and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do we hasten the Lord's return? Well, Peter gives us some glimpse there through prayer. Matthew 6.10, right? Jesus said, pray what? Thy kingdom come. Revelation 22, you know, that final verse. How does John end it? He says, he who testifies these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Through prayer, through godly living, and through witnessing and bringing people to repentance in Christ, we hasten the return of the Lord. And he says, on that day, the heavens will be destroyed by fire and the elements will melt away. You know, at the apologetics conference, I taught on the return of the Islamic Messiah, the 12th Imam, and the Shia Muslims, of which Ahmadinejad in Iran and Muqtada al-Sadr is in Iraq. The Shiite Muslims believe that the 12th Mahdi lies hiding in a well somewhere in Samarra, Iraq, and that they can hasten his return if they destroy America and get America out of the Middle East, right? Since many of the holy sites where the Mahdi appeared, the well where he appeared and he said a prayer, the cave in which is the well where the Mahdi is hiding, the grave in which the parents of the Mahdi lay buried, are there in Iraq. And having the U.S. presence there in Iraq is blasphemous to them. And so we need to get rid of the Americans from the Middle East. And also, Israel needs to be rid of. Those two forces, they believe, are hindering the return of the Mahdi. And the Mahdi will return when the world is in a chaotic kind of world war. Then the Mahdi will return to lead the armies of Islam to defeat all the armies of the world and bring in the golden age of Islam. And so the Shia Muslims believe that the hastening of the Mahdi will happen 
when there's more violence and war going on in the world? Well, I believe that teaching doesn't come from above. Because when Peter talked about hastening the Lord's return, and when Jesus talked about hastening his return, we do it not through violence and war, but through prayer, through godly living, through witnessing and bringing people to repentance of their sin and bringing people into the kingdom of God. You know, in a significant country in East Asia where Christians are persecuted and freedom of religion is not allowed, I'm very impressed with the Christians who are there. Often I'll go there and we'll do a lot of training of the Christian leaders who are there, who've committed their lives to Christ, many of them at a very young age, 17, 18, 19 years old, committed to serve him full-time in ministry, which means everything they own will be in a little suitcase. Because if they ever get the call, the officials are coming, they got to pick up their suitcase and boom, they're gone. And they go from village to village preaching and sharing the gospel. And I remember when I was teaching them, and, and they go through an intense training program. And I was there, and I was teaching a class that would be graduating and going into their mission. I asked each one of them, I said, where are you going? They said, well, we're going to Iraq, to Afghanistan, to Iran, Jordan. And I looked at them, I said, well, how are you going to get there? They said, well, we'll just go, and God will provide. And if not, we'll turn around and come home. And that's incredible dedication and commitment to the Lord, the likes that, you know, I truly admire. I'm not sure I could do that. You know, when I go on a mission trip, I make sure I got the funds, you know, that I'm going to be safe. If I'm going into a hot zone, you know, the chances are pretty good I'm going to come out of there in one piece. These young people, they're just ready to go. And in that land, there's a movement called the Back to Jerusalem Movement. I don't know who started it, but that's prevalent throughout the churches in that nation. The Back to Jerusalem Movement, that the gospel will go from Asia all the way back to Jerusalem because they see the gospel going to the ends of the earth, hastening the return of the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful movement that drives many of these people to go into such dangerous lands to preach the gospel. We need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to hasten his return? You know, God's will for each one of us it's pretty clear in Matthew chapter 28, right? A committed disciple is to what? Be a part of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nation. We've got to ask ourselves, well, what role am I playing in that? Am I reaching lost people for Christ in the arenas God has called me? Has God called me to go into a foreign land where the gospel has not penetrated and be a light in darkness there? Has God called me to equip people? Has God called me to make a whole lot of money and send missionaries and teachers and Christian men and women into these foreign lands? What has God called me to do? God's will for your life is wrapped up in the Great Commission. And bringing the gospel to the world is part of hastening the return of Christ. Well, that's our mission. While we are here... And finally, Peter tells us what our great hope is. 
in that verse 13 and 14. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peter repeats once again, the old earth will one day, it's going to be gone and give way to a new heaven and a new earth. The description is given in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. I'm not going to read that whole thing. You can read it on your own. But the first five verses are worth highlighting here. John is looking and he sees that the old earth is gone. And he sees the new heaven and new earth coming down. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So there'll be no more seas in the new heaven and new earth. Wonder what us surfers are going to do. I don't know. Anyway, there's a river of life. You know, it flows from the throne of God. Maybe that has good waves or something, you know. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And then he goes on to describe the gates of the city, the crystal throne, the streets of gold, the incredible beauty of the new heaven and the new earth as it comes down after the old earth has passed away, been judged, and as Peter writes, been destroyed and consumed by fire. Why does God have to judge the old earth? Because it's tainted and fallen in sin, and so God must judge all sin, and the old earth then is gone, and there's a new heaven and a new earth created the crystal city of Jerusalem comes and lands on Israel and this will be the final dwelling place of the righteous this will be our final home it says here therefore beloved since you are waiting for these once again prodaskao waiting eagerly with expectation it's something we're looking forward to it drives us it inspires us we look forward not to the destruction of the world, but the coming of the kingdom of God upon this earth. We eagerly await for his return. And as we do, Peter says, be diligent to live lives that are holy, without spot, without blemish, and at peace. Knowing that he will return, knowing what the outcome of the end of the age will be, gives us not only motivation to live holy lives, but also a sense of peace knowing this is not the end. No matter how bad things may be, this is not the end. The end actually looks pretty good because he returns, judges sin and death, new heavens and a new earth, and we go into eternity. And knowing his return can give us peace for all will be made right and all remains in his control. You know, I went to Dallas to graduate school and my plan was to graduate as quickly as I could and get back here to Hawaii to surfing, to family, 
to mom's cooking, to Chun Wa Cam, diners, fried Simon, you know, the beach, the mountains, get out of there as fast as I could. Now, one of the things that kept me from wanting to go to Dallas is, is their master's program is a four-year program. That's because you got to learn Greek and Hebrew and all these things. So I almost didn't go there, but I finally went and I said, you know what? I'm going to do the four-year program in two years, man. Summer school, everything, I'm going to do it in two years because, man, I'm getting back here as fast as I can. Well, after the first semester of classes, I realized that's pretty much impossible for me. In fact, it looks like more an eight-year program the way I was going. <laughs> but, you know, I went to summer school and everything and had two jobs while I was doing it and everything, and I got through it miraculously, miracle, four years, got through it. Got the master's and... Uh, I thought, I'm coming home. But you know, it's another long story, but God closed the doors for me to come home. And I was there in exile for 20 years. <laughs> no, actually, Dallas is a great place. Okay? It's a great place. I'm going to be there in a couple weeks. Dallas is a great place. Not very beautiful, but great people. I was there for 20 years. And I dreamed of the day God would bring me back to Hawaii. On my free days, what do you do in Dallas? Go jogging. It's 100 degrees out there. Go climb. Oh, no mountains in Dallas. Well, what do you do? You know, I go, you know, you stay indoors where it's uh, air-conditioned. And I ain't going to swim in those lakes. Not, you know, coming from the beach here, you know. Eh. It's a great place, but I suffered. And I'm longing for the day that I could go home. 20 years later, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's time to go home. And I thought, all right. And you know... People noticed that last year I was there. There was a difference in my step. There was a new vigor, new joy, new life suddenly came about. Not that I was mopey and stuff all around Dallas, but I mean, you know, now I'm going home. I'm going home. This time looks like for good. I get to go home. What a excitement that came over me. You know, the house I lived in, giving it up was like no big deal. No big deal. Hey, I'm going home. Have the house, you know, whatever. Getting rid of all the furniture and all that. Wasn't that big a deal? Wasn't that hard? You know, why? I'm going home. My old faithful Toyota Camry, been with me all those years. No problem giving it up. Why? Hey, I'm going home. Tremendous joy knowing that I'm going home. And in the same way as believers in Jesus Christ, soon we're going home. No matter how tough things may be, no matter the suffering that you face, you know what, you're guaranteed one day you're really going home. It's a sure hope that will never fade away, secured to us as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One day we're going home. And your life application is this. You must have an eternal perspective on life. You need to see things through God's eyes as much as possible. That's the proper perspective on life. That's the only way you can make it through suffering. That's the only way. Seeing, you know, loved ones full of life suddenly succumb to some kind of disease, become just a, a shell of what they once were to watch them decay and die. It's a horrific thing. But what allows each one of us to have peace and joy, even in the midst of seeing things like that, is knowing that one day he's returning and one day we have the eternal hope that we're going home. We can live and endure suffering 
when we look through an eternal perspective that this is not our final home, that this is not the end of the story. So Peter tells us the prophetic ending of things that are to come and knowing the return of Christ and the things that are to come ought to inspire and motivate us to live godly lives, to persevere, because this is not the end. The best that we could possibly dream of is still yet to come. So despite the wars and economic turmoil and the price of gas, there's reason for hope. He's coming. Despite the suffering and the pain of a decaying body, there's reason for hope. He's coming soon. Despite the loss of loved ones and the separation for a little while of those we love, there's reason for joy and hope. He's coming again. Our hope is an eternal hope that can never be taken away, can never be destroyed, because this is not the end. He's coming, and the future for a believer in Christ looks awesome. Let's pray together. This concludes Pat's message, taken from 2 Peter chapter 3. We can live and endure the suffering we face in this life when we look through an eternal perspective, knowing that this is not our final home, and this is not the end of the story. I hope you've come to a greater understanding of the wonderful hope we have as believers in Christ. If you miss any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and enjoy other great resources on this site. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners, if you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat and his friends continue to provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,